What are we discussing on today's podcast, you ask? Well, first, we got to discuss that disgusting D-backs game one loss, the St. Louis Cardinals. Then we got part two with Sully Baseball. We're breaking down the 2023 Hall of Fame ballot. Are the guys getting in this year legit? Sully's going to break it down for me. We take a look at some of the steroid guys. Always got to debate those guys, of course. Then we even take a look at next year's ballot, some of the no-brainers, the locks, and some wild cards. So we're discussing all that on today's Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. You are locked on Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked on Dimebacks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day listening to who? Always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer, so please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter. At Creator Thomas24 from my personal account, or just look up Locked on Dimebacks on both Twitter, Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. And one of those platforms is YouTube. So please hit subscribe on the Locked on Dimebacks YouTube channel. If you go to Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube right now you can see we are joined by my friend Ketel Marte, not the actual player, but the bobblehead joining us on today's live stream. And don't forget, today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Now let's get into the podcast and let's discuss this D-backs game one loss and just the D-backs vibe in general right now because it is, the vibes are not good surrounding the D-backs right now, right? It it feels like we are spiraling. It feels like us as D-backs fans are kind of in a state of despair right now because listen, personally, I'm a guy that rides the emotional roller coaster. So when the D-backs were riding high three games in the NLS ahead of the Dodgers for first place, best believe I was talking crap. I was trash talking every Dodgers fan I saw on the street. I was like, yo, how does it feel to be in second? But now that the D-backs are fighting for third place in the NLS, I'm like, oh, hello, Mr. Dodger fan. I'm like, uh, I'm like a turtle now. I'm like a hermit. I'm like wearing turtlenecks. I got my hat on. I'm like trying to be undercover, basically. Like, I don't want anyone to know that I'm a D-backs fan right now because it doesn't feel good. Despite the D-backs still holding on to a wild card spot right now, it just does not feel great to be a D-backs fan right now. After that game one loss to the St. Louis Cardinals, the D-backs are now currently on a 5 game losing streak after losing the finale to the Atlanta Braves which they should have won thanks to Miguel Castro giving up a home run in that ninth inning they got swept by the Cincinnati Reds can't say much there because the Reds just straight up outplayed the D-backs then this game game one against the St. Louis Cardinals a game the D-backs definitely should have won but once again we saw their we saw the D-backs closing struggles rear its ugly head once again because the D-backs 
Started Ryan Nelson in this game, who's been pitching very well recently, but not tonight because he gives up five earned runs, six innings pitch, and you knew from the jump it was not going to be a good Ryan Nelson start because he gave up two runs in the first. He had like 30-something pitches in the first inning. Like From the jump, you knew it wasn't going to be a good start for Ryan Nelson, but you're like, you know what? It's okay if he's not great today because the D-backs offense should at least be alive with Adam Wainwright on the mound, right? Because Adam Wainwright is basically the Cardinals version of Madison Bumgarner. He went to this game on a potential pitch limit. The broadcast was saying like 60 pitches. Ended up throwing 76, but it was very Madison Bumgarner-esque. Like the Cardinals were like, we're going to throw you out there for five innings. If you can give up three earned runs or less, we'll consider that a victory. And that's exactly what Adam Wainwright did. Felt like he was leaving some pitches over the middle of the zone that the D-backs could have crushed, but no one was able to take advantage of it. And that's partly due because if you look at the D-backs post-All-Star numbers, not the prettiest for some guys on our team. Like when you really talk about why the D-backs are struggling and tonight's game with just a microcosm of why the D-backs are struggling, it's not just the closing because we know the closing has been an issue, right? It hasn't just been the closing this year. It's been the closing the last few years. I mean, you go back to 2020, the D-backs have had one of the worst closing situations in baseball over the last half decade, over the last three to four years. And this year, they're slightly better at it their bullpen is actually solid, but the ninth inning, it just where nightmares are made for the D-backs, and you really can't explain why. Literally, if you look at the Chafins, the Castros, the McGuffs, the Ginkles, like, I would have to double-check Ginkle, but those other three guys I named, if you check their numbers in save and non-save situations, like, all those guys are just straight up better in non-save situations, and you check their numbers in the ninth inning, it's like, these guys turn into different pitchers when the game is on the line, when the pressure's ratcheted up. Only in the ninth inning, though. You could put McGuff in like you did in game one tonight. He'll get you that one, two, three inning in the eighth inning with a one-run lead. But you put McGuff in the ninth inning in that situation tonight with that Andrew Chafin had, and I'm not sure the results are different because that's just what we've seen from the D-backs recently. And it just feels like the D-backs are just never in sync with both their offense and their pitching. You see tonight, the offense did come alive late. They still put six runs on the board, but the pitching was not able to hold it up. And look at some of their more recent losses, like game, like game two against the Cincinnati Reds. You lose two to four. You don't score enough runs there. Game one against the Cincinnati Reds, you lose six to nine. Your pitching just doesn't come through for you. And that's just been a trend the whole month of July. Either your offense puts up like five to seven runs, but you give up six to nine. Or maybe you only give up four runs or less, but then your offense only scores two or three runs. Like the D-backs have not just been, the D-backs have not been, in sync on both pages on their offense and their pitching. I think one of the reasons is because with Merrill Kelly hurt, like that just puts so much more pressure on the other guys in the rotation. Zach Allen has to truly be elite every time he goes out there. You're putting another dude in the rotation who are just going to be on the same level of a Ryan Nelson or a Tommy Henry. So could be good or could be super volatile. And chances are, that guy who you're putting in over Merrill Kelly is not going to pitch as deep into the ball games as Merrill Kelly. So the bullpen now is going to get more worn out. So just one guy missing starts affects every person in the pitching staff. Plus, you mix in the fact that this D-backs offense has just been struggling post-All-Star break. Like, outside of Ketel Marte, who is batting 333 with a, not batting 333. Entering tonight's game, he was batting 333. But 
post all-star break could easily say batting over 330 over 1100 OPS post all-star break but the rest of the team Moreno's been the second best player during that time but very small sample size same with Nick Ahmed that's been your second third best player during that time after that Emmanuel Rivera's batting below 220 Corbin Carroll batting below 240 Christian Walker batting below 220 Alec Thomas batting below 210. Like the D backs offense post All Star break, outside of Ketel Marte, everyone is pretty much struggling. And we know Gabriel Moreno just put on the injured list. So you can't even make, you can't even say, hey, let's put him in the lineup a little bit more to get this offense some resurgence and some juice because he's also going to be out a few days. So when I'm looking at this D backs team right now, they're not in sync. The offense can be good, but the pitching will be bad. The pitching can be good, but the offense can be bad. You need Merrill Kelly desperately back, who might be back for game two of the series. The broadcast was talking about it a little bit. So Merrill Kelly's back for game two. I think that would be huge. I mean, we all know that would be huge. I don't even have to really reiterate that point or really you know, dive into a deep analysis of why Merrill Kelly is important to this D-backs team in rotation. But once you get him back, that should hopefully balance out a little bit with the pitching staff and some of the um, weight some of those guys have to put on their shoulders and some of the workload some of those guys take, but it won't help out the offense. We just need guys like Lourdes Goriel, who has been the worst player on this team post-All-Star break. He's batting below 200, and it's just not looking pretty, below 400 OPS. Like, Lourdes Goriel might need a couple days off just because he's been struggling so bad. And with the deadline approaching, this D-backs team needs to be aggressive and needs to be buyers at the deadline i'm not saying you have to go out there and trade for otani even though that would be nice of course he's a rental if you can give me an assurance he's going to resign with the d-backs then i think it's an all-in play but you probably don't need to go after the otanis you don't even have to go after the dylan ceases of the world a giolito would be cool but the d-backs if you could just add a guy like a david robertson or another you know, Carlos Estevez from the Angels. And then just go add some guy that could platoon on the left side of the infield for you to add some additional pop. Or maybe you want an upgrade in the right field because you don't trust a full season of Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas out there. And you want a true everyday player they could put out there. I think getting a guy in the rotation and another arm or two in the back end of the bullpen is the most important thing. I think Mike Hazen needs to be aggressive at this, at this deadline and try to add some arms because I don't want to have a whole first half where the D-backs are you know, tied for the NL West division lead at the first half mark and then look at the standings at the end of the second half and see the D-backs on the outside looking in for the postseason, that would be the worst-case scenario. I don't care if entering the season, I said, if the D-backs end the year with an 8 on that win-loss record, that would make me happy, and I would consider that a successful season. That was true before the season started. But now, after watching this team for basically 100 games, this team should be in the postseason, and Mike Hazen and Toy Lovello need to do everything possible to make sure this team makes the playoffs and if this team does make the playoffs you're going to need to buy tickets and the best place to buy tickets is game time so let me tell you guys really quick about why game time is so cool and why that needs to be your place for last minute ticket deals because you can forget planning months in advance game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football basketball baseball concerts comedy theater and more the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section and row for less game time will credit you 110 percent of the difference 
difference. It's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account or redeem code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download the Sirius XM app and search up Diamondbacks. All right, last segment here with Miller Thomas. Uh, we talked about the future with the future pennant races. We talked about the present with some of the teams sliding. Let's talk a little bit about the past. We had a great Hall oh. of Fame weekend. And that's, to me, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not intensely emotionally quivering my bottom lip over Fred McGriff and Scott Rowland. That being said, they were both wonderful players. I saw their entire careers. Uh, I've always felt Fred McGriff was probably the most underappreciated of the sluggers of his time. You know, he wasn't hitting the 60 home runs. It just every year, 35, 40, 35, 37, 30, like every year, Fred McGriff, whether it was the 80s, 90s, 2000s, he just was he was just a consistent crusher of homers and uh, oh my goodness, his body didn't suddenly change or he didn't suddenly become a 70 home run hitter in his forties. Uh, I'll just leave that one right there. Um, and, you know, hit was part of some, you know, playing the postseason with a bunch of teams was part of, uh, I think the single best team to not win a pennant, which was the, Blue Jays of the late 80s, early 90s. Yes, I know the Blue Jays wound up winning the World Series in 92 and 93, but McGriff was part of one of the the biggest massive blockbuster trades of two All-Stars in exchange for two All-Stars. Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez for Roberto Alomar and Joe Carter. I mean, that, that's a trade you don't see anymore. That's a ba- that's a trade you make on so rare, you know, and that was, uh, and that when that trade happened, it's like, holy what? And um, and but yeah, you his arrival with the, on the Braves in 1993 just turned them into a juggernaut. He hit a home run in his first World Series at bat uh, in the World Series against uh, Cleveland in 1995. Um, all class. No one on the planet has a bad word to say about Fred McGriff, and uh, so I'm glad he's in. Scott Rowland's one of the great third basemen in the history of baseball. I have no compunction saying that. Uh, had a super long career, World Series champion, playoff hero, almost hit one of the greatest home runs in the history of the Cincinnati Reds, where he had a long drive to left field. That if it, if it stayed fair, the Reds would have won the division series against. It would have been a series clinching home run that hooked foul, and the Reds wound up losing the series to the Giants, and the Giants wound up winning the World Series that year. Uh, take that, Jeff Carr, that memory of how close you came uh, uh, Scott Rowland foul ball away from going to the NLCS uh, in um, 2012. But yeah, I those are two legit hall of famers. Okay. And, that, and I, and I like that they're both in, I, I would have voted for both of them. Okay. That's kind of my question about the legitness of this hall of fame, because I always 
wonder when a guy's like on a ballot for like five, six, seven years, and then they finally make it. Does that really validate their career of being a Hall of Famer? Or does it need to be a little bit more strict? Because I do see some people have some complaints about the Scott Rollins where it's like, maybe he was a great player, but was he that Hall of Fame player? Did you fear a Scott Rollins? I did. I, I, I understand what you're saying. And I understand. I, I think that this is magnified because some of the superstars who have been on the ballot have been left off and he's been put on. I think the fact that the, the Bonzes and the Clemenses and the A-Rods and the Manny Ramirez's and the Rafael Palmeros of the world who have had, who have the stats and the legitimacy and the superstarness of baseball are left out. And Scott Rowland is left in and Scott Rowland didn't capture the imagination of the baseball going public the way I think he is part of a backlash of uh, for people who say, what A-Rod's not in and Rowland is bonds. Yeah. Is, you know, I mean, it's, and it's, and it, it's sad to me because I do think Roland's a legit Hall of Famer. I just think that when people start comparing to some of the people who have been left off, I think that's where this this backlash may uh, have come about. Um, and, and, you know, the, and I, and I'm so, you know, in a way, I'm so mad that Harold Baines got into the Hall of Fame for this reason, because people will now point to talk about his career as if he was a bad player. He wasn't. He obviously had a wonderful career. Mm-hmm. He played for 20 some odd years. He got 2,800 some odd hits, was an all-star many times over. He was a, he was a terrific second banana on many teams, a professional player, professional hitter, known as a bad thing in the world to say about him. But when he got in, he got like 5% of the vote from the writers and Tony La Russa was sitting on the committee and he was Baines's manager, and so he got the public, he got the uh, groundswell of that committee to put him in because he's a hell of a nice guy. And so now people talk about Baines and to a lesser degree Roland as if they didn't have, you know, Roland I think has a Hall of Fame worthy career. I don't think Baines did, and I don't. I'm not mad that he's in. I'm mad that him being in is now he's now going to be people who bring him up and also bring up Bonds in the same breath. You know, that's the thing that's annoying. Yeah. Um, the politics of the Hall of Fame voting has always bothered me when it comes to people putting their own personal biases and ejecting their own personal feelings into the voting. Just tell me if you guy, if you think that guy's a Hall of Fame player or not. And one guy that I was comparing Scott Rowan to who uh, for to a, I was comparing him to a dude who just had his final year on the ballot this past season who mm-hmm. didn't make it. He had 10 years on ballot and got knocked off, but he was a former MVP and just comparing their stats side to side. I thought it was really close, but I was surprised this guy got cut from the ballot while Rowan made it. Jeff Kent, I'm not saying I'm a big Jeff Kent supporter or anything like that, but just if you put the two guys side by side, statistically, they're damn near the same. And then Jeff Kent's got that little MVP. I don't know too much about his own career, but I'm just like, why is a guy like Scott Rowland? Is it that much of a difference between Scott Rowland and the next guy, even though statistically they look the same? I was never the biggest Jeff Kent guy in the world. I think he benefited from uh, Bonds. I think his career exploded when he was protected. You know, they had to throw him a strike because they just walked Bonds. Um, I, I, you know, but there's also, I think everyone hated Jeff Kent. And I wonder, I wonder how, and no one hated Scott Rowland. I, I do think that comes into play. I think that comes really big time. I remember someone was accusing um, Jeff Kent of treating players of color nasty in a nasty way. And someone pointed out, I said like, no, he was 
an a-hole to everybody. He did not care your race, color, or creed. He just was a jerk to the entire planet Earth. And um, I don't, I don't recall a single person ever saying anything nice about Jeff Kent as a human being. Um, and I wonder how much of that falls over. And I have said that the the sanctimonious attitude about performance enhancing drugs and uh, Hall of Famers. And I'm not going. And by the way, I'm not going into the Pete Rose thing because I did a whole episode on that. He doesn't want to be in the Hall of Fame, so quit asking if he's going to be in. He's answered your question. He doesn't want to be in. He wants to make money out of not being a Hall of Famer. But that's a that's a previous episode. Go check that out. I'll probably make a video short of that so you can just share that with your loved ones over the breakfast nook. But for the ones who are PED users, that they are like the Bonds, Clemens, and of course Clemens has a whole new set of uh, baggage he has to deal with off field, you know, accusations and everything like that. I'm putting putting that aside. You know, Bonds, Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Rafael Palmero. All I mean, there's all of them have the numbers mm-hmm. to be in. We know Pudge Rodriguez was part of the Mitchell report. We know David Ortiz had a positive test. Jeff Bagwell is the most obvious user in the history of anything. But everyone liked everyone liked them. Everyone liked Big Poppy. Everyone liked Pudge Rodriguez. Everyone liked uh, uh, what was the last one? Jeff Bagwell. They were nice, cute, cuddly guys. But people didn't like A-Rod. People didn't like Clemens. People didn't like Bonds. People didn't like Palmero after he did the whole finger-wagging thing. People thought McGuire was full of you-know-what. Sammy Sosa should be in the Hall of Fame. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa saved freaking baseball. Yes. They belong in the Hall of Fame. Barry Bonds belongs. They should build a tower for Barry Bonds. If you want to say – and do you know what? If you're going to be sanctimonious about it, do you know what? Uh, put on, on this plaque, only put the information up until 1997. Because guess what? You could say the first person in baseball history got 400 home runs and 400 stolen bases, multiple MVP winner. How about that? You know? But it's wow. the sanctimoniousness about it, which brings up some of the ones coming up in the upcoming ballot. Oh, wait, A-Rod, real quick, A-Rod's still on the ballot. He should be in. He's the greatest third baseman in the history of the Yankees. And when people say, was Derek Jeter the greatest shortstop of all time? He wasn't the best shortstop on his own infield. What were you going to say? Sully and I will continue that conversation. But first... I was just going to say, um, because you're hosting Locked on Rockies this week, I was just going to say just for next year, because the guy who came in second to Sky Rowling for the most votes this year was Todd Helton. Oh, hell, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's probably a lock oh, to get that leader. Yeah, and by the way, uh, on Tuesday's show at Locked on Rockies, I talk about uh, Todd Helton's candidacy and the fact that, you know, the the first Rocky to get into the Hall of Fame, even anyone who played the game, was uh, Larry Walker. And I'm glad it was Larry Walker and not like Dale Murphy, who played a handful of games at the end of his career with the Rocks, but was, you know, was a brave. I would love to see friend of the podcast, Dale Murphy on there, but anyway, but uh, uh, Todd Helton is definitely going to get in the hall of fame and he should be. Yeah. 
he had, just, he had a Hall of Fame career. And just real quick, my feeling, I've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, whenever the Hall of Fame season rolls around, they got to judge up the same arguments about why you're pro or against the steroid users. Mine is always just a real simple philosophy. I'm pro with any steroid user up until 2004, up until the Mitchell report, because basically there was no testing. Baseball didn't care. After 04, I do care if you did steroids, because at that point, Baseball did crack down. We did have this kind of black cloud over anyone who did steroids. And after that point, when we're actually policing it, when we actually have rules in place, if after 06, you did get caught with steroids, then I'm like, okay, I do look at you kind of shady. So if like Nelson Cruz gets on the ballot, then I might be like, you know what? He did do steroids in the prime of his career. That might knock him down for me. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. Um, and I understand that. I respect that. But like Alex Rodriguez was a, was a Hall of Famer before – the crackdown started. Manny Ramirez was. Yeah. Rafael Palmero was. Gary Sheffield was. Gary Sheffield had a great career. Had a phenomenal career for years. And it wasn't all just because he was injecting horse serum into his buttocks. You know? I mean... When it comes to like the Mannies and the A-Rods, I think it's the multiple allegations and the failed testings and the biogenesis scandal. If it was a one-time David thing. David Ortiz, <laughs> and I'm the that's... biggest big poppy fan you'll ever meet. But for God's sake, same with Pudge Rodriguez. But all David Ortiz has is the Mitchell Port, which baseball has thrown out. We have other instances post-Mitchell Port, Manny's, and the A-Rod. That's why I'm like, it's a little bit different. If you're Manny and you fail like three times in your Major League career, that feels a little different to me than one time on a test where Major League Baseball themselves don't even give it any credence. Do you put Manny in? I love Manny. Personally, I mean, I, I grew up as a Red Sox fan, so I, I, Manny being Manny, I'm putting him in. But You put A-Rod in. Uh, see, A-Rod is where it gets a little dicey. The dice. greatest I, I, third baseman in Yankee history. I mean, don't with throw state. Greg Nettles in my face. With the same logic, I would have to put A-Rod in as well. But I think personally, I wouldn't actually have either one of them. And just because you can't fail so many tests and have steroids delivered to your house, you have to have some kind of ground rules here. We can't just let in all the cheaters. Okay. post all right. All right, all right. So What about these three? Oh. Well, okay. Uh, these five. Okay. <laughs> we got five names. Clemens. Yes? You want me to say yes or no? Yes or I'm no. Coming- I, I got Clemens in there. Okay. Me too. Bonds. Bonds on pro. Bonds. Okay. Palmero. Palmero. I would have to check the numbers. 3,000 hits, 500 home runs. Well, then, yeah. If it's if he did his work pre-04 Mitchell Port, if all those guys put up their Hall of Fame numbers pre-Mitchell Port, I'm pro any of those guys if they got the Hall of Fame numbers. Mark McGuire. <laughs> Yes, get the juiced up heads in there from the 80s because that's where I'm like, baseball, like you said, baseball needed those guys. They changed the game. Baseball turned their back. They Everyone benefited off the steroids in the 80s, so those guys should go in. But the guys post-04, when we weren't benefiting off steroids. Sammy Sosa. You know, Sammy Sosa is an interesting cat off the field. He's got some identity issues, but I guess he could go in the Hall of Fame. I just don't know what colors bust is going to be. Hey, look, at, he's doing, <laughs> I, I'm not going to touch that one. <laughs> I am not going to touch that one. You know, the, his bust will be bronze. That's all I know. That's all I know. Bleach all right. Bronze. There you go. <laughs> there was one 
time he showed up and he had like a pink hat and he was wearing a pink suit and Superman, only Superman fans will appreciate this. He looked like Mr. Mitzelplek from the Superman comics. Anyone who gets that, send me a message at Sully Baseball because if you do, I'll put you know what, I'll put them side by side, Mr. Mitzelplek and how Sammy Sosa came out. All right, cool. Uh, but we agree that Todd Helton belongs in and uh, Adrian Beltre also on the ballot is a no brainer. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, look at next year. Are there any guys who are like are no brainers or are there any guys Helton. who you think are like just really interesting that you don't know where it's going to go like a coin flip? Uh, uh, well, Helton and Adrian Beltre have to be in. I nice. vote for Sheffield. I absolutely have Sheffield in there. I like uh, Beltran is an interesting case because his because of his the stink attached to him from the, the Astros year. Um, the, the two most interesting cases that I think are worth looking at are uh, Billy Wagner and Andrew Jones. Um, mm. I can go either way on both of them. Uh, I've heard very compelling case on both sides. Uh, and uh, and I'm, thank goodness I don't have a vote. But you, you, have two, you have two that are absolute no-brainers for next year, which are – so if you're a Ranger fan, if you're a Rocky fan, uh, go reserve your tickets to go to Cooperstown because uh, Todd Helton is going to, is absolutely on going to make it. And, um, and also uh, 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 Adrian Beltre. Yeah. Yeah. Him too. I don't know if he'll be a first ballot, but Joe Maurer is going to be on the ballot for the first time next year. He's, a, he's, he's, yeah, he's an interesting one. He's interesting. He may, I, he's one that I think is worth debating over and, and seeing the pros and cons, especially because of his position. Yeah, I think because he's a catcher, I'm like, I'm just looking at his stats. Like he's led the league in average three times. He's got the MVP. I think because of the numbers, the most, the two most interesting guys, I think for me on this list is because when you think of their primes, it felt like they reached these really high highs, MVP finalists, but their primes actually didn't last longer than like six or seven years in terms of their peak. Both mm-hmm. of Chase Utley and a David Wright, both of them kind of dealt with injuries yeah. in the second half of their career. More David yeah. Wright, but both those guys for like five or six years, you could say maybe the best players at their position, but their peak wasn't as long as maybe you might have remembered when you go back and look at their stats. Which is why I bring back Sheffield. Look at how long he was a legitimate <laughs> MVP, and it wasn't all just steroids. He for for all those years with Miami or they were Florida back then. Those mm-hmm. years he had where he was, uh, you know, the uh, legitimate MVP candidate in in uh, San Diego, in Los Angeles. He played, you know, some great years with Atlanta, was great with the Yankees. Just his, he had such a long peak. So take a look. All right, we're getting, we're getting off piece here. We've got to wrap this up here. Hey, um, let me throw the trivia question that I asked to Locked on Rockies to my audience here. Uh, and the question is, when the Rockies had their great year, in 2007, where they stunned everybody and went to the World Series, they had only one all-star representative that year. Who was the Rockies' lone all-star for the year they went to the World Series in 2007? See if you can get it, and the Rockies fans can get it on Lockdown Rockies. Send your answer to at Sully Baseball. Hey, Miller Thomas, where can people follow your show? Hey, you can follow me on all your streaming platform. Just type in Locked on Diamondbacks. We're also on YouTube, Locked on Diamondbacks on there as well. Follow my personal Twitter account, at Thomas 24 or look up the show account, Locked on Diamondbacks, both Twitter and Instagram for the show handle. And you can follow me. I'm at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Talking about a wild card race that's mainly wild because of mediocrity at this point. 
and celebrating the non-mediocre legends. Is that non-mediocre? Is that grammatically? You know what I'm talking about. This is Locked On MLB, Locked On Diamondbacks crossover for the 24th day of July 2023. We're going to fist pump for another week. Boom. That's it for this edition of the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Diamondbacks news coverage and insight. Should be having a crossover with Javier Reyes of Locked On Padres as we do every Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. Thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. If you do listen every day, put hashtag everydayer in the comment section on YouTube. Don't forget to catch every D-backs pitch on their hometown broadcast when you download this series, XM app, and search up Diamondbacks. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. No says.